so excited that we are starting our new season of Clauses and Controversies, and I'm excited <laughs> and I'm excited that we are starting it off with just a conversation amongst ourselves, which are always my favorite, even though I love and adore all of our guests who come on the podcast, because on our own conversations, I can say all sorts of incorrect stuff without worrying about the guests being embarrassed. So welcome, Mark. <laughs> You're welcoming. You're welcoming me to our podcast. Thank I'm you, Lou, too. <laughs> I'm welcoming it's, you it's to our podcast. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're so honored to have you. All right. So here's the thing that I'm hoping for us to talk about, which is the Hamilton Bank case that we have uh, discussed before, but there has been a development that I think is worth talking about and as always uh, worth my asking you uh, the questions and your answering them uh, in response to my incorrect assumptions about the world and how American judges are likely to behave. So let me set up what I think is going on. And just a few days ago, the latest development in the Hamilton Bank litigation against Sri Lanka has been that the Sri Lankan government, represented by Clifford Chance, has asked for a pause, I guess formally a stay, in the proceedings. And specifically, it is asking the judge in New York to delay the grant of summary judgment. Now, best I can tell, there is really no legal basis. And so then we'll get into the question of what is a legal basis. There's no, there is no legal basis in the contracts to justify the delay. A Hamilton Bank has the bonds. It has a claim. Uh, Sri Lanka has defaulted on the payments it owes Hamilton Bank. And so I would think that there's no justification whatsoever for the grant of any delay. Uh, there's a lot of hand waving in the memorandum about, oh, sovereign debt restructurings, blah, 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 blah. Oh, the US government supports this, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but can, that, can a judge really uh, grant a delay based on a bunch of hand waving? Isn't that this what you get Rule 11 sanctions for usually? Uh, no, on the Rule 11 sanctions. I, I, I was really sucked. I really sucked at uh, civil procedure when I was a law student. But I think all I remember from civil procedure is Rule 11 sanctions. But you, you never seem to get them. And yeah, and not even that, I think. Um, no, you you were, I think the Rule 11 thing, like, let's just not talk about that anymore. Um, the, the, this is, a, it's a super interesting request, right? And 
let me just say three things. I think it'll be three things. And then um, maybe I will explain what I find so interesting and, and, uh, and um, noteworthy about this. So, I mean, the judge has a lot of discretion about what to do here. And while you're right, there's no clear legal basis for a stay. The judge has the power to control her docket. And the reasons that Sri Lanka has offered, you could plausibly decide to stay a case uh, on that basis. So that's point one. It's not exactly a super rule of law kind of thing to do, but it, it wouldn't be ridiculous. So that's point one. Point two is if the judge granted a stay and Sri Lanka's lawyers presumably know that the judge understands this, there really wouldn't be much Hamilton Bank could do about it. I, I don't think it would be immediately appealable. You'd have to like try to mandamus her and, you know, really, I, I that's going to, even if you want to do that, it's going to take too long. So, so that's point two, you know, there, there's a, a super high degree of discretion here because the, I think Hamilton Bank's appeal rights are pretty minimal. And then third, I, I kind of think the judge has the power to sort of slow walk things, even if she doesn't formally grant a stay. And it might be that the real motivation for this request by Sri Lanka is to kind of make the argument for doing that uh, and to buy some time that way. So anyway, those are the three kind of quick reaction points to your question. But the thing I want to talk about, and I think this is something that um, you are going to be interested in as well, is all the stuff that they don't say in the brief, uh, the, that Sri Lanka does not say in the brief supporting the stay. And really the the key thing they don't say is that the whole dispute is over whether Hamilton Bank gets to opt out of the the restructuring altogether. They they seem to be trying to force Hamilton Bank to make that clear if it wants to. The closest they get is there's this little reference um, in the brief on page 10, actually, to how Sri Lanka has committed to comparable treatment of all our external creditors. That's it. Like that's the the closest they come. I think I've only skimmed the brief, but like the closest I could find to actually saying what's going on here, which is that if Hamilton Bank gets a judgment, it won't be bound by any vote to modify the bond. So I think it's kind of the the interesting thing is that nobody is actually talking about the elephant in the room here, or at least Sri Lanka isn't. So this, I, I want, so you're exactly right. This is why I find this so interesting because Clifford Chance never really says what's going on. And as I think we've discussed before, what's going on is that Hamilton Bank, by trying to get the judgment, is trying to escape all of the traditional processes to restructure sovereign debt. Now, it is entitled to, I think, uh, as a contractual matter, this is its entitlement. It can sue once there's a default and once payments are not made, and it can you know, ask for a judgment. Once it gets the judgment, it is outside the restructuring ambit 
and can ask for full payment, no more comparability of treatment. Uh, but it doesn't want to say it. It has not said that that's its strategy. And Sri Lanka, through its lawyers, is cleverly, although we'll see whether this actually works, is cleverly trying to force them, presumably in the next motion, to acknowledge why it is that it's so important to get the judgment. So I, if I remember correctly from my reading of the memorandum that Clifford Chance filed, they say, judge, there is no harm to Hamilton Bank. That's right. For you to grant this delay. Of course, <laughs> they, they know and we know that there's huge harm to Hamilton Bank from the grant of delay because unless Hamilton Bank gets the judgment, uh, it cannot escape the restructuring. And uh, but is is Hamilton Bank going to be forced to say that in its response, or is it going to be able to duck it? And can the judge use the fact that they're not fessing up as a basis for the delay? Now, I, I know you said, and you are, of course, correct. I, I, you know this stuff so well. I know you said that the, the judge has the authority, and it's not even appealable, likely, uh, to, to slow walk this. I mean, judges slow walk stuff all the time. But I also suspect, although I don't know if there's any real data on this, so and uh, probably what, what we should look. I also suspect that judges don't like slow walking things. They've, Especially in New York, they've got a heavy docket. They just want to get this stuff off their uh, plate. And if there is no entity like the U.S. government that has filed an amicus brief saying, you know, judge, this is good for the whole world that you you give a delay, and the judge is going to be a little bit wary of accepting Sri Lanka's arguments that this is what the U.S. government and the international financial community uh, actually want. But the, is this strategy, I guess here's a question, is this strategy on the part of Sri Lanka likely to work? Is Hamilton Bank going to have to fess up in order for it to get the summary judgment? And is it fessing up to saying, look, the whole point of us bringing this litigation is to escape the restructuring and not get comparable treatment? Is that going to actually undermine their claim? Sorry, I was so confusing and long-winded. You probably have to no, 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 extract no. I, the question. No, I think I think this is the interesting question. I mean, I, and I don't think either of us can really answer it concretely or with any degree of certainty. I mean, no, that nobody has to to say anything. And Hamilton Bank can make a perfectly sensible case for proceeding quickly. Uh, in fact, they would make the case that you made at the start of your comment, which I, I happen to agree with, even though I think the judge is perfectly able to both grant the stay or alternatively slow walk the case if she wants. You know, I think that there's a very compelling argument that the right thing to do here is to play the role of, 
a judge, right? You've got a case. The case is easy. There's no dispute on the merits. People uh, come to New York expecting fair and even-handed uh, enforcement of contracts. And, you know, you've got a creditor that wants a judgment. You should you should give them the judgment. That, that argument, uh, I think, could perfectly well carry the day without Hamilton Bank coming forward and saying specifically like, hey, look, the real harm to us here is that we're going to maybe be in a position where we have to take the same deal that everybody else gets. So um, I don't know. I, I suspect the judge knows the underlying dynamic here, right? I have to imagine that uh, she understands full well what's at stake. So um you know, maybe this is a situation where the absence of uh, support by the U.S. government or the, uh, the absence of uh, some request to, uh, uh, to file something in support of the stay, maybe that weighs relatively heavily for her. Who knows? So can, can I at least, uh, can we spitball on this? In, and But I, I'll, I'll pose it as a question, although... Um, I'm 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 not burdening you with this. Does the context of this case uh, matter? And of course, as lawyers, we know context always matters. But we had a last round of arguments where Sri Lanka claimed that Hamilton Bank was not entitled to sue because they were not the registered holders and that only the registered holders were allowed to sue and not the beneficial holders and that the waiver of sovereign immunity was only granted uh, for the benefit of the registered holders and not the beneficial holders. Now, to me, and with the caveat that I don't really ever understand the registered holders, beneficial holders crap, this just seemed like a bullshit argument. Just delay and an attempt to do through formal legalistic uh, bullshit arguments what they're trying to beg the judge for now. Now, the judge gave that, and this is my reading between the lines, the back of the hand. The judge said, look, no, they, they, this, they, they own the debt. They get to sue. Yes, you have pointed out uh, the the wording of these contracts, but you know, us New York judges, for a long time, we have seen cases like this, and you you really don't have uh, a leg to stand on. So this this current argument that is uh, sort of begging the court for mercy, and that rests on a footnote, a footnote in the prior decision, it, it really, it, it seems like a last gasp. It, and the judge maybe was already annoyed? Maybe? Question mark? Yeah, me, yeah I, yes, I read it the same way. It is a last gasp. But we've been saying this, at least I think we've been saying this since we first started talking about this case many, many months ago, which is that as far as we can tell, all that Sri Lanka's lawyers are doing for perfectly sensible reasons is trying to drag this out as long as they possibly can. And I think this is definitely a last gasp. The judge did give the the 
prior attempt, the back of the hand. So I guess the question I have for you is what do they have to lose? I mean, the case is a dog on the merits. You're gonna, you have no possible defense to the judgment. I don't know whether you're worried the judge is going to really hold it against you, but what's she going to do? Enter a judgment against you? Like, that's going to happen. So I don't know. Like, why not try to drag it out as long as you can? So I, I do have an answer. It's not a full answer, but I, I think that we should maybe learn from the example of Argentina and what happened with the judge there, Judge Grisset. I might be getting the facts wrong, but my uh, memory of that litigation is that initially Judge Grisset actually slow walked the case. The hedge funds brought claim. They had all sorts of arguments, pari passu, blah, blah, blah. And Judge Grisset is like, no, there, this is, there's, there's an attempted restructuring here, and I understand uh, what you guys are trying to do in trying to disrupt the restructuring, and I, I'm not going to give you your claim. So this was this was very early in the litigation, and he seemed to want to actually e- enable the process to go through. But Argentina really did not act in a fashion that was cooperative. They kept bringing claims. They kept uh, putting up roadblocks. And it didn't seem like the, the, the renegotiations were going anywhere or that were even trying to renegotiate. And so ultimately, he lost patience. And he was under no obligation to slow walk, as the judge in this case is not. And at some level, the more bullshit arguments you are coming in and bringing in front of the judge, I, I think there is a real risk of them saying, okay, enough already. Like You don't actually have a legal basis and the other people have a legal basis for that claim. And then if it gets to that stage, you might have irritated the judge so much that they're willing to give you the kind of injunction that Judge Grisset was willing to give because that was the thing that enabled NML Capital to get its recovery. It was ir- the Argentina having irritated the judge. And, uh, you know, maybe this is not going to happen here. We're too early. But I've talked to lots of people, both investors and folks uh, close to this restructuring, who say in the same manner that people would say to us in the Argentine litigation, oh, so what if they get a judgment? They can't really recover on it because the sovereign will just refuse to pay. Well, we've seen that movie, and that doesn't always play out in that fashion. Uh, all right. So I'm, I'm getting on my soapbox here, but I, I just feel like the, the, this the, people don't play this out and they seem to have forgotten the lessons from Argentina. I, I mean, I take your point, but you've got to remember, it was more than a decade of Argentina basically thumbing its nose, not not making dubious legal arguments, not, not not doing stuff like that, but just thumbing its nose at all the judgments that he had entered. And only after more than a decade of that did he finally get fed up enough to 
enter the the injunction that you're talking about. And early on, he did enter judgments and he entered them. You know, I think he took a, a he didn't speed his way to entering judgments, but he didn't. Uh, he allowed creditors to get judgments fairly quickly. What he did do is decline to allow enforcement of those judgments in ways that would block the restructuring from going forward. So he showed some concern for the restructuring process early in the case. Um, and it was only as uh, as things got much, much later on that he uh, wound up giving the Perry pursue injunction that you're talking about. I just don't see that as remotely comparable to one lawsuit pending in the Southern District of New York during the middle of a of restructuring negotiations, where Sri Lanka makes plausible, but, you know, maybe pretty dubious uh, arguments in favor of giving it a bit of delay. Like, I, that's just not apples and apples. It's apples and tennis shoes. They're, they're not remotely <laughs> the same. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that we get to talk about this early in our new season, because this movie is going to play out in interesting ways over the course of the next few months. And I have no doubt that we will return to the ongoing events. I mean, I wish uh, the Sri Lankans all of the success in their restructuring. And as you know, I have no great sympathy for these kinds of hedge funds trying to extract uh, disproportionate recoveries at the expense of some poor country trying to get back uh, on its feet. On the other hand, it's just, you know, they do have a legal claim and uh, they are entitled to do what they're doing. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm, I'm very conflicted, but I'm also, from our perspective of finding it interesting as to how these things play out in the modern era, this is going to be a, a fascinating set of developments. So that's all yeah, I have I, on this, Mark. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But you get the last word. Yeah, I, I wanted to, to say something uh, in, in alignment, I think, with with the comment you just made, which is that I think in general, judges ought to have a fair amount of humility about their ability to fine tune whatever it is they're doing in the enforcement proceedings before them, you know, to fine tune that so that they can kind of create the right conditions for restructuring, right? They're just not, they're not good at that. They don't have the information they need to do that. And it dilutes their key role, which I see as basically enforcing contracts. And I, I do think it's important to have institutions that will just say our role is to enforce the contract that you have. So I think in general, if I were the judge's law clerk, I would encourage her to kind of stick to though handling this case the way she would handle any commercial dispute. That means proceeding to judgment with all reasonable speed. That said, like I just like again to point out, nobody would bat an eye if the judge said to these people, like, look, 
I'm trying to find time to schedule this trial and this other civil matter I have. I'm going to, I got some flexibility there, but I'm going to schedule it before you. And I'm not going to be able to get to your, your summary judgment motion until after that. I just won't have the bandwidth. You know, like nobody would bat an eye at that. The, the amount of flexibility the judge has to We've been using the word slow walk, but to fashion some kind of reasonable compromise here, the amount of flexibility there is really enormous. And so who knows what the judge is going to do? She does not have to say anything about the pros and cons of letting somebody opt out of a restructuring, right? There are just so many kind of soft, subtle ways to handle this. So I would expect her either to say, nope, we're going forward full speed, or to say something that doesn't really mean anything much about sovereign debt in general, but to give Sri Lanka a little bit more time in doing it. That's it. Well, that, That's all I have that, to say. That, that was perfect. So thank you. And thank you to Liana for sticking with us for yet another season that is going to be super fun. Yay. Thank you, Liana. Talk to you soon, me too.